Romans chapter 16. Romans, no, not chapter 2, Romans chapter 16. <laughs> All right, Romans chapter 16. Um, the Apostle Paul is closing out his letter and he's giving greetings and we talked about the greetings that he's giving to um, the people in Rome and before he gives greetings to the people with him from the people with him he pauses for one last exhortation very important exhortation to the church in Rome that has only become perhaps more important for us to listen to today um, than in a long time. So read with me verses 17 through 20. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Tell me what you think of this quote. Jesus calls you to be real, not religious. Jesus calls you to be loving, not moral and righteous. Jesus calls you to be inclusive, not hating everyone who disagrees with you and claiming your superiority over them. That's what this Jesus portrait is all about. And that is why people believe they experienced all that God is in the life and the person of Jesus. John's Gospel has Jesus say, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's what this Jesus message is all about. It's a call to life. It's a call to love. It's a call to be all that we can be. And those of us who want to constitute ourselves as disciples of this Jesus have a single responsibility to build a world in which every person in that world has a better opportunity to live fully and to love wastefully and be all that they can be in the infinite variety of our humanity. That sounds so smooth and so good and even attractive, perhaps. That was spoken by an Episcopal bishop who does not believe there is a God, denies the Trinity, does not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, does not believe he died an atoning death, does not believe in the resurrection, does not believe in faith in Jesus Christ alone, by grace alone, 
does not believe that God has constituted a church for his glory, does not believe that Jesus Christ is coming again, does not believe in truth, believes the world was created not by a special act of God, but by natural processes. His name is John Shelby Spong, and he has done great harm to the church. But do you see how he's, his talk was so smooth and persuasive, and he used language and words that had the ring of truth? In this passage, Paul's last exhortation is to watch out for those who teach doctrine contrary to the faith revealed by God and delivered to the saints. There will be people who disguise their worldly motivations and their worldly way of thinking with smooth talk and flattery, and thereby they will deceive many. And this shows you that Christians must, please get this, Christians must not only watch out for false teachers, but know true doctrine. We must be knowledgeable of what is true. Because if somebody comes along like that, and there are many, it's not just pastors and teachers, but there are people like that, Far, far more learned than us, who, who speak as if it were the oracles of God, but behind is nothing but death and destruction and denial of everything God has revealed. I want to give you seven theses on false teachers and false teachings that hopefully will help us uh, be more discerning and prepared when we encounter these things and when others we know encounter these things and if these things try to make their way into our church and get a foothold here. The first thesis from this passage, before we even get to the passage itself, is to understand that there are teachers in the church whose teachings are dangerous and deadly for anyone who receives it. Jesus said in Matthew 17, 7.15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus said there will be false prophets. That is, there will be people claiming to be speaking for God when in fact they are contradicting what God has said, either directly or indirectly. They will come, these false prophets, in sheep's clothing. That is to say, they're going to portray themselves as innocent and harmless and simply trying to follow what the Bible says or what Christ taught. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. What wolves do to sheep is they kill and eat them. Very often, very often, there's a, an, a selfish, worldly motivation behind it. Sometimes, these people don't know any better, but what they do, anyhow, is the slaughter of sheep. 
They are false prophets who claim to speak for God. They come innocently, but they tear apart the flock. And we are sheep, and we are prone to wander. So it's very, what we're talking about today is keeping our eyes on the chief shepherd. Paul, in Acts, I believe it's his departure from the Ephesians, he says, in Acts 20 through 20, 20, 29 and 30, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So Jesus and Paul both warned about false teachers who are dangerous to the flock. They claim to be speaking for God, but they actually speak twisted things. And whether it's directly or indirectly, they are contradicting the word of God. They're contradicting what is true, what is right, what is good, what is real, what is life-giving, and they are promoting and giving death. Um, Reinhold Niebuhr said, uh, he talked, he wrote a, I believe the book's called The Kingdom of God in America. And he said, the basic thesis of this this kind of Christianity, especially progressive Christianity, is that, um, or no, this is Osborne, rather. He says that all the false teachers in the early church passed themselves off as Christians and ministered out of the church. And the danger was the kind of tolerance which the false teachers, which allowed the false teachers to work within the church. So they work within the church, and the problem of congregations who are like us was the tolerance of false teachers and teachings that allowed, that allowed and actually enabled these people to have a platform. So what I'm calling us for today is a holy intolerance of false teaching. Anything that raises itself against the knowledge of God, no matter how smooth, no matter how flattering... Anything that contradicts what is the clear teaching of Christ and his apostles ought to be anathema, a holy intolerance. Turn with me to Revelation 2, 19. In Revelation uh, 2, 19, um, Jesus is speaking to the churches, commending them, some... And some he is telling them what they're missing and that they are in danger. And in chapter 2, verse 19, he talks to the church at Thyateria. And he says, I know your works, your love and your faith and service and patient endurance. And that your latter works have exceeded the first. So you're, you've done a great job. You're, work, you're, good, you're good on your works. And you're patiently enduring. They're even faithful. But I have this against you. That you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Who calls herself a prophetess. And is teaching and seducing many servants. To practice sexual immorality. And to eat foods offered to idols. We have people in the day that have this very same spirit. Who are teaching that... Um, Marriage or, or sexual um, 
intercourse is not just between a man and a woman who are married, but um, it is a free-for-all. And it's the same spirit at work in the church today that was in the work in the church 2,000 years ago. But the problem was they tolerated this spirit. They tolerated this teaching. So a holy intolerance is what we need in order to combat these teachers. That's thesis number one. Thesis number two. There are teachers in the church whose teachings are in opposition to sound doctrine. So the false teacher's teachings are in opposition to sound doctrine. Um, they directly oppose and corrupt what God has made clear. He says, the Apostle Paul, in verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. So they don't, it's not just causing divisions. It's not just creating obstacles. It's with the instrumentality of false teaching, teaching that is in the opposite direct uh, trajectory of what Jesus and the apostles have handed down to us. The doctrine that we have been taught is that established set of truths that we've, we've received by divine revelation in his word, that humans are sinful and under the wrath of God and in need of forgiveness and need of a savior. That God has acted through Christ. That God has acted through the life, death, and resurrection and exaltation of Christ to reconcile man to God and to make all things new. That only by faith in Christ can we access the Father and be indwelt by the Spirit. And we are called to live a life of holiness and representation of him through his strength in us. That is the doctrine that we have received. And the problem is the false teachers will aim at that very thing. That very thing. And they will cause division. That's the problem. They harm the body. Causing divisions. Causing confusion in the body. And putting up stumbling blocks in the path of their spiritual progress. And let me just say also too, again, yes, many of the false teachers have, have twisted motives. And so that's why there's some teachers who taught the right thing but were caught in great scandal afterwards. So sometimes you can't even tell it by their teaching, but they... But you can tell it by the fruit that comes afterwards. But even if they had good intentions, all right? Even if they have good intentions, the road to hell is paved by good intentions. All right, me and Nydia have been watching this nanny show. This, what's it called? The Super Nanny, Super nanny Show. And I like her a lot because she really, she really gets the kids in order. You know, and she and she let, sets down rules for the children, and and the problem is the parents in this show in these show enable the kids to be brats all the time, 
enabled them. So the, the child is crying and kicking and whining, and, and there's an excuse made for them constantly. Oh, well, he's tired, or he's hungry, he's had a long day. And the kids are, are literally kicking her in the face, the mom, and they don't do anything about it. This is, you, you're enabling that kind of behavior. And I think that the church, by not, call, by not either calling out or not false teaching, standing up for true doctrine and allowing, allowing this just uh, uh, the gas of, of even not quite true doctrine to flourish in the church is us enabling. It's, it's enablement of those things. So throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to false teachers. I, I've come to, to realize that there are many people that say good things, but they're going to mix it with such error that it's not worth having your mind and heart shaped by them. So I want to encourage you to throw the baby out with the bathwater because they can be deceptive even if they themselves can be deceived. And by their self-deception, they can actually deceive others. So, thesis number two is that they are false teachers and their teaching is going to be in opposition to sound doctrine from the scriptures. Number three, Paul says, um, for such persons, in verse 19, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Very often, the false teachers are have a, a false motive. They either use their ministry or their teaching um, as a means of gain or as a means of self-promotion somehow. And we can see this in the health and wealth prosperity gospel that those teachers are, are ravaging the church and people in the world by preaching success and, and people who don't know any better latch on to this desperately and give money desperately, sowing in, sowing seeds, so-called, into their future and being deceived by these teachers. So... Very often they have bad motives. Or maybe they've even deceived themselves. Thesis number four. And this is, this is one we need to watch out for. False teachers tend to be very persuasive in their teaching. Paul says it is by smooth talk and flattery that they deceive the naive. Smooth talk and flattery is the instrument that they use to promote their false teaching. A smooth talk meaning it has the ring of truth. It sounds right. It, it sounds good. Yes, I, I resonate with that. But they're actually mixing truth with error. And so false teachers are persuasive. It's, they talk in such a way that it goes down easy. Their talk is uplifting. It's encouraging. But they actually 
functionally are destroying everything that God had established, even if it's brick by brick and hardly perceptible. They have a form of godliness, but they deny his truth and his power and his reality very often. Reinhold Niebuhr, in his book, The Kingdom of God in America, said, this is what typifies progressive Christianity in America. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross to eternity of heaven without a hell. That is what we need to watch for. And it's very smooth and it's very it's very easy to be oiled and to, to be flattered, lifted up, encouraged, and go down that road. And it is happening to many, many people. That new phenomena of deconstructing the faith. So, smooth talk and flattery. Don't, don't fall for the word that goes down smoothly. Don't fall for being flattered. We're not here in the church trying to essentially make, make each other feel good about ourselves. We have a holy calling where we are onward, an upwill, uphill battle like pilgrim. There are dangers and dogs without. There is a Satan who disguises himself as an angel of light. It is a difficult and dangerous journey. And we are called to faith in Christ and to follow him. And we need to be aware of those who would drag us off the path. You know, in Pilgrim's Progress, all, all he needed to do to get off the path was to step over the fence and take a smoother road, an easier road. And as soon as he knew it, there were some trees in the way, and, and eventually he got veered off the path. So it's very easy to do that. So, beware of fools and sheep's closing. Uh, that's what Paul says, um, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. And what am I going to do? What am I going to, uh, and what I am going, what I'm doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim in their boasted mission that they work on the same terms we do. For such men are false apostles Deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So, beware of wolves and sheep's clothing. Wolves and sheep's clothing. Next thesis, their work is particularly successful among the naive. Paul says, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Literally, the naive in the Greek is the innocent or the unsuspecting. Pure. It means pure, too. It can mean pure. Innocent, unsuspecting pure not 
not being discerning, thinking that that person can actually do your harm. It's swallowing everything that person says. So, they deceive the hearts of the naive and unsuspecting. <coughs> instead, of, instead of holding to, and you can be naive, instead of holding to the truth delivered to the saints, you can slightly veer off by flattery, by the subjective experience that somebody had. And you can be led astray from what is true. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that there aren't true experiences and dreams. I told you about one a few weeks ago in Bible study that I had. But, but when it comes to truth, there needs to be a centralized standard. And God has given that to us in Christ and His Word. Amen? So, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Next thesis, that leads me right into the next thesis, which is the church must be discerning, therefore. And Paul says, for your obedience is known to all. As I re- so I rejoice over you. So this Roman church has been obedient. They have committed themselves to the obedience of faith. And actually, they are very, they're known for their obedience and fidelity to Christ. And so Paul rejoices over them, but he says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Wise means that you're prompted by your accumulated knowledge of and discernment. You're wise. You're prompted by what you know to be right and true. That's what you're prompted by. Innocent. As to what, it, what is evil means unmixed in the Greek. It means pure, free from association of what is evil. That's why I say throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to false teaching. There are other men who say good things. And you don't need to go to the people who are mixing untruth and error into their teaching. So, um, Douglas Moon in his commentary notes that He's encouraging innocence in one sense, freedom from sin, but he's warning them about another kind of innocence, the kind that lacks discernment concerning truth and error. Don't be that kind of innocent. Be innocent regarding your association with evil, but do not be innocent with regards to what Satan's devices are. Jesus said, be wise as serpents. And innocent as doves. And I think Paul's teaching that principle here. To be wise as serpents is to not just trust somebody or anything that said lock, stock, and barrel and just swallow it down whole. But be discerning, be wise. Last thesis is that. Satan is going to lose anyhow, even if there are false teachers. I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil, and then a promise in verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I love that verse. Because God is a God of peace, right? But he will crush Satan under his feet. Mm. So, this is, this is why we should not lament 
in the, in the Christian church in America. Yes, it is being secularized. Yes, there are people who are raising their arms against the knowledge of God. But rather than wringing our hands in anxiety, we should pity them for the wrath that they are incurring upon themselves. Rather than, than anxiously trying to get pagans voted into office as if the kingdom were dependent on it, we should vote our conscience and be assured that God will have his way. God will soon crush Satan under your feet. And don't listen to those people, those preachers and pastors that constantly want you to go to the Psalms of lament and lament things all over the place. This is not a time for lamentation. This is a time to strengthen your weak knees and make straight the path for your feet. So, let me share, you, share something with you. I was reading 2 Corinthians 4, and Paul doesn't lament. If anyone had reason to lament, he did. Beaten, thrown in jail. I know I'm going off on a tangent a little bit, but hang with me. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, um, he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Right? This is only going to increase God's glory if the whole world turns into pagan idolaters who hate him. It'll only show his power and show that we were, weren't strong enough to do anything. He says, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So the man was severely struck down, beaten, and had reason to lament even, but he was not forsaken, he would not be destroyed, and he would not be driven to despair. Let us take that kind of stand in the church today, rather than a limp-wristed anxiety. Be anxious for nothing. Right? We will not fear that the earth gives way. So it doesn't matter what's going on in the news. We know at the end of the day, the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet. All right. There are three, there are three, um, three movements I want you to be aware of really quick before we wrap up. Number one, um, the kind of false teaching that you need to be aware of is, number one, progressive Christianity. That's the, that's the preeminent one today, um, where we are. Progressive Christianity uses the language of Scripture while actually articulating views that are contrary to it. Right? That's what we saw with John Shelby Spong. God wants you to be loving and whole, life and that abundantly, love wastefully, live, live, you know, live so that others can do the same. But really behind his words is nothing but atheism. So it's using the language of God to deny him. Okay? That is progressive Christianity. You should ask yourself when you encounter someone who think might be a progressive Christian or a teaching, is this the same exact message that 
secular society would rejoice in. Is it, is, does that sound like the same exact thing that any liberal atheist might say and praise? Ask yourself that question. And if it's yes, and there is no mention about Christ and his victory over sin and death, your need to be forgiven of sin, the kingdom of God, the resurrection, there's no mention of an actually ontologically true Christian worldview, then I would strongly suggest you turn the radio or podcast off and find someone else. So progressive Christianity. Number two, the prosperity gospel. The idea that God always, his will is always for you to be healed and wealthy. That's the prosperity gospel. And from what I just read from Paul, he doesn't believe such things. He is persecuted, but he is not forsaken, he said, right? And the prosperity gospel does just severely take advantage of the naive because, like I said, it is people who are sick, people who are lame, people who are poor, it takes advantage of the least of these. It takes advantage of the least of these and takes their, their money, takes their faith. And my fear is it will take their soul as well. It does take their soul. And it's not just a matter of them. It's a matter of, of it being passed down to the next generation. I was just... There's a, a good... Um, video DVD called The American Gospel and it's, it is really eye opening because one young man in The American Gospel said that we are exporting the worst that Christianity has to offer from America when we send them overseas and I know this not first hand but second hand because I actually heard a missionary uh, not a missionary someone who is overseas um, had a church overseas talk about American missionaries coming and they, he said, they don't know the gospel, and they don't know the Bible, and they don't know, they don't know what they're doing. He says, stop sending us missionaries. That's why I really appreciate Heart Cry Missionary Society because they vet their missionaries. Unlike these massive mission agencies, and I'm not saying all these missionaries that come from big mission agencies are are bad or or unlearned or don't know what they're doing, but it does show you that there's a problem. There is a problem, and uh, we want to. Yes, we want to support missions, but we want to support good missions, not just people that are out there. And even if they have a good heart, God doesn't need their heart. God wants them to establish a work. Lastly, and this is one that really gets under my skin, is what I call vampire Christianity. I think Dallas Willard made that phrase up. But vampire Christianity. Um, vampire Christianity. What does a vampire do? He only just wants a little bit of your blood, right? And then he wants nothing to do with you afterwards. That's the problem of many, many so-called Christians today. They want a little bit of Christ's blood. They want to have nothing to do with, no, no discipleship. No obedience. And Paul talked about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. 
And so uh, Aldous, uh, what is it, W.H. Auden um, had a quote, He's, he wrote, God likes forgiving sins, I like committing sins. The world is really admirably arranged. <laughs> that is not the Christian message, that God just really enjoys forgiving sins and we're little rascals, you know, sometimes. That's not the point. The point is that Christ died that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. 2 Corinthians 5.15, exactly. So the point is, yes, it's forgiven. It's forgiveness. Yes, it is grace. But once having received those things, you live a life of love, gratitude, sacrifice, service, and you are, you are empowered by God to live for him. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you do well. You do well when you are following the Lord against your inclination, and even though it's hard. Well done, good and faithful servant. Keep at it. These things are not wasted. But you are producing a God-glorifying fruit in your life and even if people don't see it, the audience is the Lord. And the reward comes from Him. And so that's why Jesus said, when you pray, when, you, when you're pious, don't even let your other hand do, do know what your left hand is doing. When you pray, go into the closet. And He says, the Lord who sees in secret will reward you. All right. Um, so vampire Christianity then is the idea that yeah, I, I've told you about the time where I was I was going door to door and one of the guys said, you know, I'm a non-worshipping Christian. Yeah, I'm a I believe Jesus died for my sins, but I'm a non-worshipping Christian. That's a vampire Christianity. There's no such thing as a non-worshipping Christian. Any Christian who has been bought by the blood of Christ is a worshipping Christian, if he is a Christian. All right. That's false teaching and false teachers. Beware of them. Know that they will subtly and smoothly contradict what is true by flattery and encouragement. And, and their words are smooth. They go down easy. But there's nothing but death in them. So be very, very cautious Stick to the Word of God. Stick to good, solid doctrine. The doctrine that you have received from the Scripture. And we will do well. Let's close in a word of prayer. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only wise God be glory and majesty and power and dominion now, before all time, and forevermore. Amen. Amen. If anyone would like special prayer, I'd love to pray with you.